You are listening to National Security Law Today. Hey, listeners, and welcome back to National Security Law Today. On May 11th, the Standing Committee on Law and National Security co-sponsored a bipartisan luncheon on Capitol Hill. Overclassification, how bad is it? What's the fix? This in-person event, co-sponsored by the Nonproliferation Policy Education Center, examined how well the current classification and declassification system works and how best to reduce the volume and level of classified documents to help prevent future top-secret leaks. The program also featured a discussion of bipartisan legislation introduced to reform the security classification system in order to reduce overclassification, prevent mishandling of classified information, and promote better use of intelligence and enhance public trust. Opening remarks were given by Harvey Rishikoff, counselor with the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security, and Henry Sokolsky, executive director at the Nonproliferation Policy Education Center. Notable speakers included Senator Mark Warner, chairman of the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, Senator Mike Rounds, member of the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, and Benjamin A. Powell, member of the Public Interest Declassification Board. We hope you enjoyed the event, and for additional details, check out the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. My name is Harvey Rishikoff. I'm the Senior Counsel of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security from the American Bar Association. This is an issue that the association, uh, our committee, has been deeply focused on for a number of years. And we're also perfectly timed, thank you, Senator, to have the legislation come out last night so that this is the subject of the topic. If you will notice also, uh, Henry has a report out, came out in March, which is the overclassification, how bad is it, what's the fix? And I want to thank Carnegie. The real reason we're here, though, is because of the senators in the bill. We'll let Henry say a few marks to introduce the senator. And as you know from the biography, the senator is deeply involved in this issue, sitting on Sissy. I think it's a subject that is close to his heart and has been working on a variety of ways to try to make this better. And with that, Henry, please take the floor. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here, and I, I count myself as being very fortunate to know Harvey. Three years ago, my center initiated a, a series of meetings on the problem of overclassification, and we, I don't know, we had about almost 150 senior, former, current officials and outside experts weigh in. The reports on your chair, along with a lot of other useful material, including an explanation of the bill, or bills, I should say. The group's report found that overclassification is robbing our frontline troops and allies of intelligence they need to fight and win, blocking our most innovative companies from keeping us ahead of our adversaries, hobbling our most leveraged military space programs, and my favorite, hollowing out public oversight as well as our military, diplomatic, and strategic historic memory. I think we can push back. We need to reduce the guidebooks we use to classify documents. And that's one of the themes you'll see in the report. We have at least 2,000 of them. Many are vague, contradictory. Unless we boil these down, we're never going to be able to automate to deflate the overclassification explosion. There's more in the report and more to be heard and discussed today. That's what we should do right now. It's Senator Warner. Mr. Chairman, thank you for being here. 
as you know, you've been at, at the heart of this issue. You carry many, many flags for us in the law, national security law space, including 702. You've been quite a student of this issue, and we can't thank you enough for passing the bill this morning, for issuing the bill this morning, so that it's perfect for our panel. So with that, we'll give you the floor for you to explain your approach, and then we'll have some well, after. Well, thank you, and um, thanks to the ABA, thanks to the Public Interest Classification Board, thanks for good friends like Glenn Gerstle, who's sitting here helping me on some of this. You guys probably are more familiar even than I am. This has been a problem for years, but it kind of fits into that, I think, been for a long time in that category of it's a secondary problem, not a primary problem. Then we've had a couple things happen. One, and this has been something we've been working on as well, it's not gotten very much attention, except for certain within certain communities, how we make sure we do a better screening process for people to, to receive security clearances in the first place. I mean, actually, the Trump administration was very helpful on this. We used to have 750,000 person backlog, hurt us in terms of recruitment, hurt us in terms of ability for folks uh, in the contractor space to do their job. We made progress on that, but boy, I didn't think it was going to be a four or five year process, but we're still chipping away. Then we had the problem more recently, last fall, of the potential misuse of documents by a former president or a current president or former vice president that kind of moved this issue. Then we had uh, what I think was an extra spur was the um, recent leaks that Air Guardsman Teixeira um, appears to have been deeply involved. All of that coalesced uh, a bipartisan group of us on the intelligence community to say it's time to actually put up a piece of legislation or a couple of pieces of legislation, one a little more narrow, narrowly tailored, one that is, is much more extensive. And what we do in that legislation, and I think everybody's gotten a chance to take a look at it, and Mike, this is a group of lawyers who will ask us all the details, so I'll be quick on that, my top end so you can get to the, the prodding and prying questions. We said, first of all, somebody's got to be in charge. The idea that each and every agency sets their own criteria of what needs to be classified versus not classified really doesn't make any sense. And it, it's leading to that the tsunami of documents. It's leading to the things that everybody here has already mentioned. It's leading to the fact that we can't even share with our allies. But we all agree, problem. So we picked into a variety of places this could have landed, but we ended up saying the ODNI entity that's ultimately sets the standards and, and is the, the ultimate decider, number one. Number two, and, and this is is it pretty aggressive. I know we've already given pushback, and I think if we'd done this bill, we get push back from whatever administration, because no administration wants to have this process meddled with by Congress. Number two, we put in a public interest test where you have to weigh the public interest right to know versus the, the national security concerns. And that test, which was actually originally proposed by Senator Lenahan back in the 90s, is a great starting point. Because what we have right now, I think we all know, is a default to classification because it's just easier, it's an easier way to CYA. There's no actual impetus to, to not classify. So this public interest test makes sense. We put in place a a 25-year requirement that says, all right, you got to declassify after 25 years unless the president or an agency had gives a specific reason. Will it get everything declassified? I'm not ready to go there. I know some of my colleagues want everything mandatorily declassified. I think there could be cases still of sources of methods, but at least it, it puts the pressure on uh, on a declassification basis. It also says, 
right? That's, and this is again, this is a, this is something I'm sure people can pick some holes in, but I think we're directionally right. It, we in, in effect almost put a taxation policy for agencies that overclassify. Now we're not taking money away. We know that would never be fully utilized, but it would say, all right, if there is this overclassification, those penalties would then be reallocated within that agency uh, to a fund for, for further modernization and, and digitization. We also put in place, because of the situation with the most recent leak, a requirement to have consistent insider threat programs in place. I, I think it is very safe to say, candidly, because of some of the mistakes that were made in the past at the NSA, you know, insider threat process, because they've learned the lessons, was much stricter. An insider threat process that ought to include how often you use copy and how often can you walk out with a bunch of documents without any requirement. Why in the heck does an IT specialist get to see all of these documents in the first place as opposed to just the header? I mean, this is kind of like 101, and I don't think, and I know there'll be some folks from DOD saying, no, we had best practices. I don't believe that at a national park facility. You know, we put that in. And then finally, something that's generated, uh, I think some of the initial press commentary which, again, is kind of a no-brainer in my mind, which says before a president or vice president packs up their boxes, which we all know was kind of done in a hurried fashion and you know, kind of arbitrary decisions about what a personal document is versus a you know, classified document. The general rule of thumb has been if it's classified, you can't call it a personal unless you affirmatively declassify that. But saying, let's let the archivist execute a review. I think most folks who don't want to make a mistake on classification would welcome that assistance uh, to make sure they don't get themselves put in a place that ends up being slightly uncomfortable. There's a host of other smaller pieces. Why don't I, why don't I leave it there? And are we going to yes, absolutely. Well, thank, thank you. And, and, and thank you for the opportunity to participate in this panel meeting. For folks that look out here and, and, and they see nothing but partisanship and so forth, I can assure you that behind closed doors, there is true bipartisanship that occurs in that committee, as well as on the Armed Services Committee. And uh, can we even give them the real secret? <laughs> Which is, we actually like each other. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's, let me just begin by this. It's anything that we do in the Senate is going to be bipartisan or it doesn't go anywhere. But we start, from my perspective, I'm just going to tell you the story on why we want to make this happen. My own personal story on this. Uh, I watched as we would go into a classified discussion, but we didn't have staff, our own staff, that could have a background on what we were doing. The United States Senate is staff driven. And if you want to get something done in a Senate office, you have to have had communication between the staff members. But the staff members can't get access to some of the material the chances of getting that in front of a member of the Senate gets significantly reduced. What I found in terms of serving on the Armed Services Committee was that as a member, I had access to items that were significantly classified. And you recognize that there are reasons why they're classified, in part because of the program itself. And some of them are very, very sensitive. But there's also a matter of protecting sources and methods, which nobody wants to get in the way of. We absolutely have to protect sources and methods for how we get our intelligence, but we also want to make sure that we protect those significant programs that keep us on the cutting edge of technology. And we don't want to give away those secrets. 
China's good enough at getting our secrets the way it is. So we don't want to give up any more. So we're going to be very careful in that regard. But what I also found was is this degree, the secrecy that we had was impeding our ability to find areas of opportunity when it came to coordinating authorizing committee members and appropriating members. I want to give you one example. It's still there today. And that is with the issue of AI. In South Dakota, that would be artificial insemination. Yes. In Washington, D.C., it is artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence, there was a commission which was established more than two years ago, some of the brightest minds in the United States, if not the world, coming in and sharing their expertise about the direction that our country should go to enhance our abilities using artificial intelligence, both the pros and the cons. And they did a marvelous job. And they put out two different reports one of which was unclassified. And it's a good report. But the second report was classified at such a level that you basically, unless you were on a, one of the select committees, you didn't get a chance to read it. I was privileged to be able to read it. And what I saw in there was opportunity to advance AI to the benefit of this country in a very rapid way. But it meant that appropriators would have to look at where they could spend money on behalf of the country. But if an appropriator could not get the correct classification or the class or, or access to it to read it, there was no way they were going to be able to fund it. It was frustrating. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why last year we came together, Republicans and Democrats alike, and it took a lot of it, it took us almost six months to do it. We now have within the United States Senate one member of each office has now the ability to apply for it to get a TSSCI clearance. Only one member, but that way that person can perhaps come in and get an advanced review of some of the more classified documents and then all they have to do is, is walk into their member and say, you, you really need to go and get this document. You really need to take time out of your schedule and sit down and read this. You need to get this briefing. They're held behind closed doors. Well, that member is not going to go get it if they don't know what exists in the first place. And the only way they find out about it is if a member of their staff tells them that it's, it's something they got to do. We found that last year. And now we have members that act, each member has one person, at least on their staff, who has access to TSSCI materials, not necessarily staff and not areas that have sources and methods in there to protect those sources and methods. My next step on this is, is this. Part of what AI can do for this country is to improve the quality of life when it comes to healthcare. But if you're going to improve healthcare, it means people in those committees have to have access to that same material, which is classified to such a degree that they can't get it, unless they have special permission from the leadership in the Senate to actually get that briefing. That's when you realize that there is a lost opportunity cost that has to be addressed. That's the reason why we got involved in this discussion in the first place. It is the reason why we have to continue to find the best way forward to protect the sources and methods and to protect our major programs from access, from prying eyes. But the vast majority of these new opportunities have to be appropriately funded. And we've got to have the ability to communicate within our offices which ones deserve the funding, which ones should be reviewed, and which ones staff can handle directly without having a member's time involved. It may sound trivial, but we literally run out of time every single day. And to have the ability to have staff be able to share this with us in a more efficient manner 
will make us a better organization here in the Senate. That's my story. Thanks, Senator. I think you put your finger on the fact that the overclassification has even stopped the Congress to perform its functions the way it should as oversight in a variety of ways. Uh, the last person on the panel will be Ben Powell. Ben sits on the Public Interest Declassification Board, so he's deeply concerned about these issues. Yeah, the Public Interest Declassification Board has written to the president that our classification and declassification system is in a state of crisis. Uh, we've written five reports since 2009 on this, and in June of 2020, put out a report on modernization suggestions for the digital age. We were heartened to see that many of those, uh, I hope, had uh, some contribution to the impressive legislation that was unveiled. Many examples, and we all know them, uh, Senator Rounds gave important ones related to artificial intelligence. Chairman Warner mentioned space in his remarks, and I'll just note when you have the vice, then vice chairman of the Air Force saying that the overclassification in the Department of Defense is ridiculous, unbelievably ridiculous, that tells you something about where our system stands and the importance of this legislation. All of the flaws that Chairman Warner and Senator Rounds mentioned, of course, are demonstrated in what the DOD has said about what's going on in space programs in terms of cost, in terms of duplication of effort, and in terms of, frankly, harming our national security and our ability to share information with important partners, both domestically and internationally. I'll just finally say we're greatly encouraged by this legislation. This is not a glamorous topic, but it is a vitally important one to the infrastructure and plumbing that underlies our national security. The community, both the intelligence community, the defense community, the energy department, and others, of course, are going to need resources, personnel, and frankly, commitment if they're going to address this so I would just say this is an incredibly important piece of legislation, and uh, we're greatly encouraged to see it unveiled. Great question. One of the issues when one goes through the two proposed bills is the number of entities that are involved in coordinating the process that you guys played out. And part of that is also the amount of funding that you've allocated. And as Ben sort of raised that funding issue, I think you spend billions of dollars in classifications and very little under declassification. So are you thinking of waiting that? Is that going to be something that's going to be addressed in the future? What is your sense about how that will be coordinated? Sir? Well, I, I think at the end of the day, the funding needs are going, to, are going to be bigger than we laid out. The art of sausage making is we didn't want to scare people away with the price tag on the front end. No and if we can do say, you know, if we can you know, dramatically cut back, I think there are savings. I do think the notional proposals we've got of this you know, almost quasi-taxation regime right. within an agency yeah. that would, you know, I mean, again, this, that will be in the details on how we get that, if it were to get through, how it gets implemented, but that could actually redirect some of the funds to make sure that right. on the declassification. Yeah, just yeah. one thought on that also, the five begins it, but then after that it's funds as may be needed. But along with that, let me just share with you, just to get them to move off dead center is critical. The National Geospatial Intel yeah. uh, Organization, okay, the NGA, they last a couple of years ago, what they found out was anybody here serve in Afghanistan? How many Afghan vets we got here? Got a few? Okay. <clears throat> Afghan vets found out, they're going to smile on this one here. Afghan vets found out that when they got to Afghanistan, they needed overhead. They needed to be able to see the pictures of what's going on on the ground. 
these folks here, they have spectacular abilities to show things, but it is so good. They really didn't want the world to know how good their capabilities were. So they weren't sharing the pictures they were taking in Afghanistan. So what did our vets have to do? They went out to the commercial market and bought commercially. What did the NGA figure out? They figured out that if they were going to survive, that they better be able to at least take these items and declassify them. Well, they've got 65 different guidebooks when it comes to classifications. It only took them five months to fix the problem. That was it. So this is a doable deal. And it can be made more efficient. And it's more than just the costs involved in classifying. It is, once again, the lost opportunity that we have right now that we are not assessing when we talk about how much it costs to declassify five million. Think about what it means just in terms of the ability to have those capabilities if you're fighting in Afghanistan and you need to see where the, the enemy is and you got to buy a commercial picture or to use commercial access rather than to have the finest that's out there because we really don't want anybody to know how good we really are. Those are the decision things that we have to address here. And to echo what Mike just said is, you know, we also had a problem in Afghanistan of sharing with our partners, which, you know, their troops as well. Right. We have done better and just suffice to say that the quality of sharing in, in terms of the Ukraine con uh, conflict is better. But Mike's dead on. Let me ask Henry to ask a quick question. I was very pleased to see in your bill that after 20 years, you were going to give him some money, dedicated staff. Now, the Public Interest Declassification Board is probably a bigger secret than most of this SAP programs. Now, you have made a big mistake in letting people know that it exists and you want to fund it. Got a question for you. How would you like to use them? Because I think they should be used, but I want to know what, what you guys think you, you should use them. Well, I, I, I would say, look, the perfect system, in my opinion, would be if we had committees within the House and the Senate that were basically subcommittees of Intel, Armed Services, and so forth to actually have oversight of it. But if not, the next best thing would be to have this be kind of that advisory board to actually take and to look at the, at, at the different approaches and hold the agencies accountable for actually getting some of this stuff done and explaining why or why not they're getting uh, things automated, but also the fact that, um, that there is a process which is going on. If the, if the NGA can do it, the other organizations can do it as well. And, and I'd simply add, if we are successful in putting in this public interest test on that initial decision, whether to classify or not, we got to have somebody that's going to be informed enough to potentially arguing the public interest and the right to know side, and that's where I think the uh, the board would come in. So at this point, I'd like to open up the questions. Do you have any press that want to go ahead? Sure. Yeah, it's a straightforward question. Um, what do you see? Let you say um, who you are. For uh, Rachel Oswald, uh, CP roll call. Um, what do you see as far as? Um, timelines for this? Do you think this could be offered as an amendment to the NDAA? Um, are you, or, or is this kind of maybe a next year bill? And what do you sense about where the House stands? Kind of all of the above. We did this initially with with only Intel committee members. We didn't kind of broaden the aperture. We let his gap know and our hope would be that you know a group there would embrace this as well. We've not done a major socialization with the House yet, but we know there are you know, 
a large cohort of people who are interested in this issue and whether it got in total attached or whether we got pieces of this that went into the NDAA or the Intel Authorization Act. You know, we're actively working, at least what I've got some jurisdiction over, the Intel Authorization Act are the component parts that we can put in. But part of this, again, let me be honest and argue that you know, some of the stuff, whether the public interest test and or the notion of, of a penalty for an agency rule for classification, I mean, that's going to stir up some controversy. We're aware, if we warned the administration this was coming. We didn't get their full sign off again, I think in a very bipartisan way. Any administration would probably push back on some of this just because they don't want Congress messing with this. But the idea that the status quo is working, and I give you know Director Haynes credit for calling out the problem. Yeah, look, I, I'm going to agree with the chairman, and I, I, I would suggest one thing, though. I think we have to socialize this, not just uh, with the House members, but I think we're going to have a lot of, of Senate members that are going to want to learn more about it. Uh, and then I think we're going to have to go back in and answer questions. I can see where this is a starting point, but we're going to have an opportunity to make modifications to it. Well, we don't have all the answers yet. And, and remember, we're still looking at the investigations that are going on about what happened with regard to, or what has to be addressed with regard to the documents that were found to be in inappropriate locations through multiple administrations, but also in the most recent leak of documents with regard to the the uh, war in, in Ukraine and so forth. That Those are all items that will help improve this particular process. So yeah, it'd be great to be able to include it, but I'd rather do it right. If it takes a full year to get it done, so be it. So okay. with that, thank you so much. We'll be happy to that. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association, and this recording should not be construed as representing ABA policy.